Today's scripture comes to us from Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pray what, Pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In an anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. <laughs> um, that wasn't my voice, by the way. That was our guest speaker. Uh, as some of you may know, uh, I was on vacation uh, all last week, or this past week, and that meant I was not able to prepare a message for today. But you know what? That's okay because I'm not giving a message today. Um, Our good friend, Pastor Martin Hahn, who's been here at this pulpit many times before, has graciously allowed me to enjoy time with my family away uh, by presenting a word for us today. And from uh, sitting in this morning's service, it was a great blessing, and you're in for a wonderful treat, a wonderful reminder of the good news of the gospel. And so without further ado, can we all welcome our guest speaker today, Pastor Martin Hahn. Let's welcome him. My church, they actually know to mute my mic until I actually get to some speaking, but you know, every church is different. <laughs> Just kidding. So as I said to the uh, first service, it's just such a blessing to be here. I look forward to these times. I mean, just, uh, you know, I am in a multi-ethnic church, and it's just great in so many ways. One way that it's lacking in, compared to the Korean church is in the ability of the worship team and just the passion of singing so it's just such a treat here to be worshiping alongside all of you and two different sets of songs too so not even a repeat i was in heaven the second service ah it's nice um let's uh, let's continue on and uh, pray one more time father in heaven we thank you so much for giving us this gorgeous day we thank you that we're not Uh, battling hurricane winds in order to get here and grant our New York, New Jersey area just safety from riptides and flooding and whatever else that might be coming from a tropical storm that may or may not happen. Uh, Lord, just we 
Thank you for gathering us here to worship you and to do what you created us for, to give you glory and to find our satisfaction. How good you are that you give us this, that you have placed that God-sized, God-shaped hole in our hearts and you satisfy us with yourself. So satisfy us with the riches of your word right now that we might hear, that we might listen and understand. Holy Spirit, show us Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, again, good to be here with all of you. Um, so the uh, economy of forgiveness is today's message title. At my church, we just finished a summer series on relational wisdom, which is very similar to one of your uh, missional values, the, uh, rela- to be relationally competent. And so I know then that this is something that you have already been trained up in. And anytime you're talking about wisdom and relationships, you can't get away about talking about forgiveness. Right, because second that you have two people relating to each other, you're going to have two people sinning against each other. And so if you think about it, if I ask you, when's the last time some, someone did something against you? It's probably a real easy answer. Probably, you were probably sinned against on your way to church today. Or you were probably sinned against by your husband, your wife, or your kid preparing for church today. Growing up, pastor's family, yeah, getting ready for church was never the most holy time. So, now, if that one was easy, just uh, asking when's the last time someone sinned against you, how about when's the last time you gave someone forgiveness from your heart? You might have to dig back a little deeper for that one. You might have to go into your journal and go back months or years to see when's the last time you really forgave someone. Because forgiveness doesn't come very easy. It's certainly not popular. All right? In country songs, I love country music, tells great stories. Lots of them seem to be about that dirty, rotten, lying, just jerkwad, you know, just who you hope gets, it, you know, gets what's coming to them. Lots of movies that w- are that way, westerns or, you know, superhero movies. At the end of Avengers Age of Ultron, they didn't, Avengers didn't go around in a circle and forgive Ultron, did they? No, it's like destroy every last one. Don't let any get away. So it's like in, in the Old Testament, that's called Hedem warfare, total scorched earth warfare. Um, and for the, even for the Christian, even for the Christian, we try adopting a forgive and forget attitude, but it works out the way that I devised it in my fifth grade mind when I used to live here in Jackson Heights, Elmhurst area, PS69. Anyone? No? So I came up with, all right, I'll forgive him, but then I'm going to forget him. I want nothing more to do with this guy that sinned against me. And maybe I'm putting my own issues on you, but I don't think I am. I don't think we grow very far away from that juvenile understanding of forgiveness. But let's turn it around. What if that was the character of God's forgiveness of us? What if God said, I am so sick and tired of your sin. I'll forgive you again, but I just want to forget about you and never think about you ever again. Doesn't sound right, does it? So three points to today's message. 
the blindness of ingratitude, remember him who canceled your debt, and forgive as the Lord forgave you. So the blindness of ingratitude. You know, Ken Sandy from The Peacemaker Ministries, and if you've never read the book The Peacemaker, uh, you're missing out. I highly encourage you to go out, get it yourself, or borrow it from Pastor John or Pastor James. I know they've got them, you know, because we all buy the same books at Westminster Seminary. Um, And he talks about the need in life for a GPS, all right? So just a, a global positioning system. Right, so my, my 30-some-year-old cousins, they complain, they uh, make fun of me because I still use my Apple Maps on my iPhone. And they're like, oh, Martin, use Waze. Why are you so old? They also tell me, stop using PayPal, use Venmo. I can't disagree with them. Waze and Venmo are, like, awesome. So if you're, like, 40-something like me and you haven't used, started them, use them. But, you know, just we use these apps to get around, right, Waze from one place to another. I can't even bring the minutes down on Waze. Do you ever... Do you ever try like working that way? If it says you're going to get somewhere at 11 o'clock, do you ever try to bring that down? To, and I can't do it. But it's a little computer. What happens if someone introduces false information or a virus into that computer? What if the thing that you're using for orientation that gave you north, south, east, west, and flipped it all upside down? Could you possibly get to where you needed to go? And God equipped us with a way of orienting us in life to have God orientation awareness and awareness, self-orientation and awareness, and other orientation and awareness. That's how we're meant to live. That's how we're meant to be. And that's what Jesus Christ is putting forth when he talks about, anytime that he talks about a parable, saying the kingdom of heaven is like. He's saying my world is like this. And what he's doing with this parable is he's making a point about forgiveness and everything that's gone wrong in this world. And we see this with the therefore that starts verse 23, right? And if you're in the Bible, anytime you see a therefore, you need to go read what came before and then camp out because Jesus is summarizing or the Bible is summarizing a really important point here. So this king who was settling accounts with his servants, had one servant who had 10,000 talents of debt. Now, at a certain point, numbers are meaningless to us, right? $15 trillion of national debt, and we, we, it goes in one year, out the other. Because beyond a certain point, you can't understand it. But let's see what we can do to make these numbers manageable. Why 10,000? See, in the Roman lexicon of that day, 10,000 was the greatest number that they could count up to. All right, maybe if they had a million, then Jesus would have said a million talents, but they went, he went with the biggest number of the day, 10,000 talents. And a talent was a denomination of currency, much bigger than like a $100 bill. It was a weight measure. All right, and so what did they use as currency back then? Maybe gold, but I don't think that any country back then had 10,000 talents worth of gold. So let's say silver. What would 10,000 talents of silver be worth in today's money? Actually, it would be about $100 billion, which is about the gross uh, annual GDP of Ecuador or the Slovak Republic. All right, so what either of those countries made in 2014, that's $100 billion. And that's what this guy owed. Now, you wonder, how could any one person ever owe 
you get into that much debt. And so Jesus, again, is making a point here. This is how much in debt this person is to the king. This is how far wrong, outside of right, that he is. And then back then, you got paid a denarius. It's a day's wage. And so if this guy did nothing else with his money but pay his master back, all right, let's say that he, uh, he was married to uh, a wife who actually made money too, and they only lived off of her money. And so his money went paying back the king. He would have to repay, he would have to live 200,000 years to repay his king all that money he was out. So when he said, please be patient with me and I will repay, the guy's just desperate. He's lying. There's no way he'll ever give that back. And that's the debt that was forgiven. That's what the king did. He responded in mercy to the man's plea, to this, his servant's plea. He said, your debt is forgiven. And it's in that backdrop that makes what he wound up doing to his fellow servant so abominable. All right? You know, just if you've ever seen the show Shark Tank, everyone ever watched Shark Tank? All right, with these billion-dollar investors hearing inventors come forth and give a pitch, and they decide whether they're going to use any of their money as venture capital. And you hear words like, you know, just valuation, right, where they're basically trying to say, all right, this is what we think your business is worth. This is how much we'll give you for this percent of the business. They're trying to make a good decision on what something is worth. This ungrateful servant saw what his master forgave him, $100 billion, and then he turned right around to his fellow servant, so not someone beneath him, a fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii. So let's say three and a half months worth of money. So in New York or America, let's call that $35,000. For $35,000, this servant chokes out his fellow servant saying, pay me what I owe. Did that servant's words sound familiar? They should have. They were the exact same that he said to the king. Be patient with me and I will repay what I owe. But instead, this ungrateful servant did not forgive that debt, did not show mercy. Not thinking about $100 billion, he could only see the 35000 he was owed. And there you're seeing something that Jesus is just drawing out very clearly. Jesus is drawing unforgiveness to ingratitude. That ingratitude is the source of unforgiveness. To which the king says, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? As I had mercy on you. Now, Jesus is being completely consistent here. In the Lord's Prayer, didn't he teach and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors? That's the part we memorize for the Lord's Prayer. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. But the verse right after that, Jesus goes on to say, this is one continuous thought. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And we see the worth that God attaches to forgiveness. Our, sal- our own salvation is tied to it. Now, Jesus isn't suggesting that you have to forgive others first and then you will receive forgiveness as if it was a precondition to our salvation. The Bible is abundantly clear. We love because God first loved us. There is no starting point with us. We bring nothing to the table for our salvation except our sin and our need for it. The Bible clearly says we love because he first loved us, God first loved us. But Jesus is stating the priority of forgiveness for the Christian. The Christian life is a forgiven life and a forgiving life. It's both and. Now, at the start of this point, I talked about like, you know, just if someone hacked your little comp- your ways, you know, just your iPhone, you know, just if you got a virus in your computer, it stops everything from working the way it should, doesn't it? I mean, it looks like a computer, like monitor and, or just a you know, device, touchscreen and everything, but turn it on and nothing works. Not the way it was meant to. It strips of us of our God awareness and engagement because we only see what we want and we think we need. It ruins our self-awareness and engagement because it blinds us to the great debt that has been paid for us in Jesus Christ, and it destroys our other awareness and engagement as we only see others in terms of our hurt or our wrath. You know, it's a, this is a really easy way of looking at this. My wife, uh, my wife just reminded me of this. So uh, my closest friend, apart from my wife, after he graduated from college, we were both like just living in Boston, and he needed help with uh, just a first, last, and security for a new apartment. So he needed to borrow $600 from me. We were, I was 23, he was, no, we're the same age, so we were 23 at the time. So I loaned him $600, and he was not prepared to pay me back the next month, or the month after, or the month after that. In fact, it took him like two and a half or three years to pay me back. And every time that I saw him at church, what do you think I saw? I'm not seeing my friend. I'm seeing the 600 he owes me. We're friends. We hang out. Hanging out always costs money. So we're going to a restaurant. And when we're ordering, I'm not seeing my friend ordering his hundubu. I'm seeing the $15 that could be coming back to me. And maybe that's why Proverbs says, don't get into business with like, you know, just your relatives and your friends. If you're going to loan some money, just give it to them with no expectation. It's cleaner that way. Because it's so easy to swap someone's identity for what you want them to be, for what you think they owe you, or what harm you think they've done to you, isn't it? And instead of someone made in the image of God, whose heart was bought with the price of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, a co-laborer in God's vineyards, you see a price tag on someone else. 
And what's scary is that Jesus uses jail in this passage as a metaphor for hell. Saying that if you don't show forgiveness from your heart, you might have to question whether you're a Christian at all. Jesus calls us to so much more than living alongside people. Now, if you're saying this is hard, you're in good company. I'll say it with you, but who cares what I say? C.S. Lewis, in The Weight of Glory, says, this is hard. It is perhaps not so hard to forgive a single great injury, but to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life. To keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law. We're Koreans, right? So the bullying husband, the nagging wife, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son. How can we do it? Only, I think, by remembering where we stand. By meaning our words when we say in our prayers each night, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. We are offered forgiveness on no other terms. To refuse it is to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. There is no hint of exceptions, and God means what he says. I make it an annual point to reread The Weight of Glory in January at the beginning of New Year. I think it would do many people well to, to take on just uh, that habit. It is hard. So how? How do we forgive that? Second point. By remembering him who canceled your debt. You see, right here in verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. That word forgive, forgave, is the word Greek word afeken, from the Greek afiemi. And it means a cancellation of debt. It's not a reduction and it's not a postponement. It is a cancellation of debt. Because in this case, a reduction would mean nothing. Hey, just pay me 5,000 talents. Oh, good, 100,000 years instead of two. Sounds like a bargain. Or even a penny on the dollar. And he's still, in his kid's 10th generation, still paying off this debt. It will never be paid. And a postponement won't do anything either. And here Jesus shows the true character of forgiveness. That it is costly that, ru- that ruler would not just get 10,000 talents from somewhere else. He did not have a New York, you know, just a New York uh, life insurance policy that had some kind of rider for derelict servants. All right, and so get, he, and instead he got a minus his deductible, he got a 9,500 talent check in the mail. He's out that money, never to get it again. And Jesus is saying that that is what forgiveness is. It is costly. Like if, you're, uh, like if your neighbor's kid, who's poor, breaks your window. All right, getting this from uh, Redeemer Bible study material. If your neighbor's kid, your, your neighbors are poor and they break your window and he's apologetic and he repents and he's very sorry, but he has no means of paying you back for the window, you can forgive But who's paying for the window? It's you. It's coming out of your wallet, your checkbook. It is costly for you to forgive. And again, Jesus is so consistent. 
In the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Luke 6.28, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who, who abuse you. Even on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus knows the costliness of forgiveness because he knows what it's going to cost him on the cross. And yet, he still drives. That forgiveness is a complete thing. It is a cancellation. Jesus said something else on the cross. Another Greek word, I'll tell you. Tetelestai. It is finished. And again, that's an accounting word, similar to afiemi. said that the debt is paid in full. That's what our Savior is saying of our sin. It was the word used in that day when a slave's debt was fully paid and the slave was set free. And that's the word that Jesus Christ, our Lord, said of us on the cross, that in his body and in his blood, he has paid for our redemption in full. We, the slaves, have been set free. And in that way, Jesus Christ connects our being forgiven to forgiving. If forgiveness in Christ is the thing that matters most to you, if this is the thing that is clearest to you in your life, as the thing, the pearl, the prize of greatest worth, then you can look at everything else that's ever done against you against that enormous debt that was canceled against your sin and mine that was paid for. And we see here, Jesus Christ is saying that forgiveness is a choice. You have to know it's a choice. You know what's very natural, instinctual. Animals do this. When they're hurt, they self-protect. And they arm themselves against those that hurt them, whether it was another animal or people, right? So it's, it's instinctive. And similarly, not forgiving comes very naturally to us. And we learn to be our own protectors. But when we do that, when we do that, we start putting up walls to protect ourselves. Again, this is something from C.S. Lewis. And he says that we become our own protector and we are living in a functionally godless world. But that isn't the world. God is your protector, and God will repay injustice. And in all this, then, forgiveness becomes a worship orientation. See, when people remember their forgiveness, they think historically. You and I tend to think historically. When we think of the forgiveness that we need, it's for sins that we've done. But what this parable is telling us is something else we need to pray and ask for forgiveness for is our very lack of desire to forgive someone else. And in remembering that need to forgive, you come to the end of yourself. You see that you don't have it in your own heart to do this, to look at the plank in your own eye first. You want to go at the speck in someone else. You want to go after someone for that 35000 because that's more important to you in that moment than that hundred billion.
But again, remember the forgiveness that we have. The Old Testament talks so much about this. Psalm 130, verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Or Isaiah 43, 25, where Isaiah is prophetically speaking Jesus' words. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Or Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Peter summarizes this in 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Amen. And so we take this and we remember the forgiveness that we have. We don't make the mistake of that just ungrateful servant. And remember that we place the proper valuation. We know our great sin and its cost as we look to the cross and see how our Savior paid that debt for us. And then we move on. And last point, we forgive as the Lord forgave us. See, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4 says it this way. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Who's Paul writing to? It wasn't the Roman government that was getting this letter. These were letters to churches. And so Paul was telling people in church to forgive each other. And why would he need to do that? Because we don't forgive each other. It's so easy to not forgive, especially now in the age of the automobile. Nothing has devastated the local church more than the car. Because if you don't like the church in your neighborhood, you can drive over to the next one. All right? As a pastor... Nothing makes me angrier and sadder than when I see people in church get into a fight and leave the church and go find another church. Obviously not the same church, but other churches to go to. Nothing makes me angry. If you want to piss me off, do that. Because where is forgiveness supposed to be? If it's not here, it's going to be nowhere. And yet time and time again, We see in the church, and I'm not talking just Korean church, but this is Queens, and Korean churches abound. It's so easy to break and fracture and break and fracture and just get into a fight and start new churches until every second-story building in Flushing is a Korean church. And Paul... Paul gives us this because he knows we are the ones who need it, but also are the ones equipped to be able to do this. In Christ, we can forgive. In Christ, we can let debts and grievances go. Forgiveness is a choice you and I must make from our hearts in light of seeing how God has forgiven us in Christ. And so we make the choice. Why is it hard? Because we run the risk of not getting justice. 
See, from the time that we're children, we understand justice. No one had to teach it to us. We learn it's not fair. And we are so concerned. Will I ever get mine back? Will I ever be repaid? Will it ever be made right with me if I forgive? If I don't forgive, it's like a, it's like a bill just waiting out there. I might get it back one day. But if I forgive, I just have to send it out and say, I'm done with it. But Lewis Smead says this, Christian author, forgiving does not erase the bitter past. A healed memory is not a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember. We change the memory of our past into a hope for our future. Isn't that beautiful? To take wrong done against you and turn it around and say, Lord, you, you will repay. And it is in you I have confidence, and not me, and not in others. You know, Horatio Bonar says this in that great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. You know, it is well, it is well with my soul. That one. My favorite verse. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. He's saying that something about remembering his sin makes him happy. My sin, not the part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. And so that's part like what Smeans is talking about. To be able to recapture and recast this sin, this harm done to us and bury it at the foot of the cross. And in doing that, he says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. Have you ever been angry against someone who wasn't angry at you? And actually who didn't care about your anger? Like, you know, like, like water on a duck's back. They didn't just, they didn't mind you being angry at them. Nothing's worse. If you've never experienced that, it's hell. All right. Nothing is worse than that. You know what I'm talking about. You know, just, you want, if you're angry at someone, you want them to like push back and be angry at you for some reason, even if they're wrong and you're right. And all they're doing is that they have free real estate up in here and in here. All right? They're living there rent-free. And when you're able to forgive and to let it go, you've set yourself free from the prison that you made. Now, forgiveness starts as a choice, but you and I know that you can choose to forgive someone, but then you have to keep at it because forgiveness is also a process. And Ken Sandy, in that Peacemaker book that I mentioned before, he says, if you want to forgive someone, the process looks like this. You make these four promises. You ready? I will not think about this incident. I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. I will not talk to others about this incident. And I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Now, those are all the exact opposite of what I do. When I'm angry, the first thing that I'm doing is obsess about the incident. Man, I get a 360-degree view. ESPN has nothing on me. I'll do slow motion capture in my mind of this wrong that has been done against me. And it will be 
the only thing I think about to the exclusion of all else. I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. Man, that's called coalition building. All right? You talk to others and you say how reasonable what your anger is. And you get other people to agree with you, right? So that, you know, that's only rational. I will not talk to... Oh, I'm sorry. No, I skipped one. I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. <laughs> if I run into you by the water fountain, it's the cold shoulder. It's the luck because you know what you did. And then the last one. I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. What personal relationship? I nuked that. But they are exactly what Christ has done for us. I will not think about this incident. Did you hear the psalmist say, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed that transgression from us? Or, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins? Can you imagine Jesus holding against us? Or, I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. What if Jesus said, you sinned again? Look at these holes in my hands. How can you keep sinning? No, far from it. Or I will not talk to others about this incident. Can you imagine Jesus at the right hand of his father, enthroned on high, and saying, I can't believe they sinned this exact same sin again. They're never going to get it right. But you and I know that he is interceding at the father's right hand, praying for us, perfect prayers. And can you think of anyone better at this? I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. In his death and resurrection, he has cemented his relationship with us for eternity. We have union with Christ. We have eternal life. He is the firstborn from among the dead and our eldest brother. And in him, we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And he even sent his Holy Spirit to have indwelling in us so that we might have fellowship with him forever, even now. This is the nature of the forgiveness that we have. And Jesus never calls us to, some, to do something he himself did not do. And because he has done all this for us, he says lovingly for us to go out and deal with us in this gracious, forgiving way. Now, it doesn't mean let yourself be sinned against. And some of you have been sinned against in horrible ways, all right? And lots of us in our own culture have, whether it's 100, 150, 200 years in our past, there's massive atrocities that our families and our lineage has endured. And none of this says, let yourself be sinned against. In fact, lots of Proverbs say, don't get into relationships with people with, uh, just when they're going to sin against you. Proverbs 19, 19 says this, a man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. What that's saying, translation, evil and stupid is going to be evil and stupid until they want to stop being evil and stupid. So, like... Stand back and don't get demolished in the wake. See, all of this is still meant to be redemptive. 
There is rebuke and discipline in the passage right before this. Forgiveness does not excuse sin, but it is still movement towards someone, engaging them back to God. You know, just Jesus says all this to us knowing we may not experience justice in this life. It's not what we're promised. Joseph certainly didn't experience justice. I mean, you might think at the, end of his, at the end of his days, prime minister of Egypt and rich and all of that, and he made out pretty well, and he did. But he never got justice from his brothers. He never got back those decades lost and away from his father and his beloved younger brother. And still, that's what, not what Joseph was about, was it? Because he could see just a little bit of God's glorious unfolding, and that was enough for him. And so we're called to forgive, to love. Now again, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says this, do not waste time bothering whether you love some, your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love them. And Jesus calls that just heaping burning coals on your enemy. Not so that, you know, the the imagery is not, oh man, I'm letting hell start early on them or it's going to get worse because I'm being good to them when they're not good to me. But that you might even bring them around to be friend, ally, brother or sister as our Savior did for us. And so I'll conclude. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. It's another word for forgiveness, right? And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the ministry we have. We have the ministry of forgiveness. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you see the missional element just embedded right here? That the way that we will go forth And preach the gospel to unbelievers is by showing them how we forgive each other and to share with them the gospel of forgiveness. That's how powerful this is. That's how incredible and huge this is and why Jesus is saying we'd be insane to want anything else other than to revel in our canceled debt. So beloved, sitting in this room, how well do you understand the forgiveness of our God? And will you share that forgiveness with your brothers and sisters in Christ and share the message of forgiveness with the lost? Let us pray. Great Father in heaven, we see that you did not hold our iniquities against us, but rather you sent your Son, our Savior, to be a propitiation for our sins on the cross. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great love and your grace. And in our forgiveness that you have, been, you have given to us, we see how we are called to live. Holy Spirit, we thank you for applying the work of the, Jesus to our hearts. And we ask that you remind us 
every day of the sin, even now that we are being forgiven of, that we can live lives of forgiving others. As we hold on to doing justly, but setting the priority of loving mercy because we see how you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.